Operator Syndrome podcast number, I have no idea. <laughs> this is a uh, little bit of a change uh, um, in our format. We're um, Obviously, it's just me uh, in this episode. Uh, to be frank, we don't even know if this is going to air, so we wanted to do a kind of trial run uh, about maybe some new avenues we'll, we'll take on as we go through Operator Syndrome and through our own stories, which is kind of the core of it. Uh, so <clears throat> just starting out, give us some feedback. We say that in the podcast regularly when it's both Patrick and myself. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have feedback. We'd love to uh, get emails. And we have some that we're going to address in future episodes. Uh, Patrick is going to be doing some interviews in the upcoming weeks, months um, with some other soldiers. We're going to have guests uh, interviews. Um, I, I plan to do the same myself. Um and we have uh, other ideas, like we have done in the past, kind of mixed it up with book reviews. Um, it's mostly military-related in some fashion. Now, that's our whole idea. Um, so today, we thought, uh, we'll give this a try. See see what you all think. Um, you may know everything I'm about to say, if, if especially if you have a military background, if you're one of our informed military special operator listeners or any other aspect of the military for that matter um so uh what so what am i doing okay recently i've had a handful of people not and these are friends of mine or acquaintances uh, who do not have a military background uh, that would ask me my thoughts on um the situation in ukraine some other tangential topics but um going to keep it kind of focused on that like uh, what is what are my thoughts on what is going on in ukraine i had one guy who's just really upset I, and as i'm upset about it it's it's a, it, we all should be upset about it it's it's a it's an absolute disaster uh it's absolutely inhumane um i i i feel very strongly about it and i'm sure um many 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 people do i know i feel very strong about it it's amazing to see the support all over the world i was in ireland uh, this past summer, and um, uh, they had a coffee shop and giving certain amount of proceeds to the people of Ukraine, one of those humanitarian organizations that's helping them. But uh, anyway, it's you, you see it all over the world that there is this sentiment that like, what's going on? So my thoughts, and uh, these these are not necessarily Patrick's thoughts. I want to kind of put that disclaimer out there. Um, the other disclaimer is that Patrick and I both uh, are in agreement that we do not want to get into politics. There's plenty of places if you want to get into politics to to do it. We are, um, I, I think I can speak for Patrick, our our hope is to, um, to bring healing to veterans. Um, and really, politics are not even a part of it for us. Um, <clears throat> we want to be respectful. And, you know, both of us have put our life on the line to give Americans the freedom to say what they believe freely without being locked up like what's going on in Russia um, um, and and to do it peacefully and to do it with, um, you know, hopefully uh, good faith. All right. Good faith. So, yeah, a guy, a friend of mine the other day said, is this is this the end of the world? Is this Armageddon or, you know, this war in Ukraine? And um, of course, I kind of chuckled at it a little bit. I, I took his question serious, but I was like, yeah, well, if I could answer that question, I could make a lot more money than I do. Uh, these are big, impossible questions to answer, um, but we can address what's going on. Um, and so I, I gave him my thoughts. So I thought, well, maybe our listeners, especially those who may come from 
um, other than military background um, would be interested. And so these are just my opinions. Um, I don't speak for Patrick. I, I speak for myself. And, um, and so I'll give you my thoughts. So what about the war in Ukraine? What's going on? All right. Um, you know, first of all, this war, you know, just, just looking at it from the 40,000 foot flyover is a disaster for Vladimir Putin. I mean, you, you may already know that. Um, it's a disaster for the Russian people. It's, it's, it's in some ways, it's just in completely insane. Um, he, history is not going to judge him well. I mean, he's going to lose this. Let's hope and pray it comes to an end without any more escalation. Like I, I've heard chatter of, you know, war in Europe again uh, on that, on that level, like a world war, uh, which I don't know what to say about that. Other than that I, I hoped and prayed we were past all that. I remember the, uh, I remember the communist wall coming down in 89. I was in the Philippines when the wall came down, the Berlin wall um, and marked the pretty much end of, of, well, the Soviet Union, but you know, there was we were thinking, oh, we finally made it through the Cold War, and here we are again talking about, you know, nuclear saber rattling, which is a very, very scary thing. So I'll say a little bit more about that. So, what about Putin? It's it's going to be a it's already is a disaster for him. Um, he's deluded. I think he's delusional, and I think he's a megalomaniac. And he he just the problem with dictators when they get to the point where Putin is and people like Kim Jong-un, they have killed everybody that has has another angle. Their, their feedback loop is gone. All they have is their own mind and their own megalomania to make decisions on. And, and when you when you we need critical feedback. I mean, that's that's it really was always important about a two-party system, is that you know, you don't want anybody running the whole show in a in a unilinear way and not listening to opposing views opposing views are what are great i need feedback i need to see my flaws so that i can improve uh, i don't like to see them sometimes and uh, you know it's not fun but um you know growth isn't necessarily fun but it's it's necessary so all that to say he's he's imprisoned or executed um nearly every voice that, that could bring some sort of reason uh, to the reality surrounding him and so he lives in this echo chamber of his own mind whatever story he's telling himself i'll just say this and again i'm not meaning to be political both stories cannot be true the narrative coming from the ukraine and the associated press and the western journalism cannot be what putin is saying he's saying something totally different to his people and to well the world so and i i talked to a friend of mine who's um from Russia, an immigrant from Russia. And he he is devastated by it too. He's, I mean, great guy. Uh, he just, he, he's torn up about it. But his mother, his mother listens to the state-sponsored, and she's in the United States, the, the Russian state-sponsored media, and she buys it hook, line, and sinker. And he just pulls his hair out. He goes, I can't believe it. It's two different realities on a course. So <clears throat> all that to say is, Man, that dictatorial um, mindset creates that delusion because there's nothing for him. There's no opposition uh, to give him good reality feedback. <laughs> you know, 
sometimes we're just wrong and we need to be that pointed out to us. Our country, just like any other country, our leaders, just like any other leaders. So it's a disaster. Um, he's surrounded by sycophants that are only going to tell him what he wants because he's either killed or imprisoned people who don't. Along that line, there is a great, I saw a great documentary just uh, last week called Navalny, N-A-V-A-L-N-Y, documentary about Alexei Navalny, who is the uh, opposition leader in Russia. You know, they tried to poison him, you might have seen this in the news, with a nerve agent, and um, he survived, which blew egg back on the Putin himself, who was they, uh, uh, this really, really um, savvy uh, IT person in Europe, tracked down the team that actually attacked Navalny, and he prank called them. He he called these guys. He was like, "Hey, it's Alexei Navalny here. Why did you want to kill me?" And it, it was unbelievable. But he he solved it, and they admitted it. That one of their um, hit squad guys admitted it, and they traced it back to Putin. Um, anyway. Navalny, unbelievable heroic guy, uh, fearless, just uh, class act all the way. So anyway, that's a great if an aside about what part of the puzzle of what's going on in Russia. It's, you can't make it up. Um, so here are some kind of military thoughts for you. The losses already, and I and here's another problem with state-sponsored media. We can't get accurate estimates because they're not sharing reality with us. But with, through other intel sources and through the help of the Ukraine, well, working with the Ukrainians, I've seen estimates between 40 to over 80,000 dead Russian soldiers, okay, in one year. Let me just try to give a little proportion to that uh, or context. <clears throat> Let's say it's 80,000. And for another, if it goes on another year, we're talking well over 100,000 soldiers. So... In our 20 years in Afghanistan and Iraq, 20 years, the longest war wars, I guess you could say, in American history, we've lost around roughly 7,000 people. That's not including suicides, um, but in combat, I'm talking about about 7,000 in 20 years. Okay, now that's bad enough. It's bad to lose one person, but um, to give you some idea, we lost in the neighborhood of 35 to 40,000. I think in in the entire at least 10 years of vietnam all right so that's half of what what roughly what is already going on in ukraine that's just out of out of it i mean it's it's just nuts i don't know i don't even i'm grasping for words to think about it um but we're talking about getting up near world war ii uh numbers of of dead soldiers <clears throat> incredible incredible and as is obvious, I think if you keep if you keep track with what the news is doing, sorry, stop, um, keep itching my nose. I've got spring allergies are coming on here in Kentucky, and uh, it's 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 a killer. Um, but uh, the Ukrainians are just they're fierce and they're fighting and they are in committed. And Zelensky is proven to be a hero. I mean, Time Magazine Person of the Year, which he ought to, if anybody deserved it, he he ought to. I mean, he does deserve it. So anyway it's just there's just no good way to look at the situation uh so um another military thing to think about uh is that it is it is incredibly difficult to occupy and hold a city much less 
a whole country of cities all over Ukraine. Um, Ukraine is massive. I was there in 2004 in uh, Lviv and in Kiev, and I I just fell in love with the place. I, the people, the the architecture, I call it Little Vienna, Lviv, or some people call it Lvov, but I, I don't know what the difference there is. I don't know Russian so or Ukrainian. Uh, but it's just gorgeous, a gorgeous place. I fell in love with it. And um, that's why I guess it's more personal to me, it, it, extra personal to me, because um, I always want to go back there. And, you know, anyhow. So the difficulty of occupying a city, it's one of the most difficult things we do in special operations is to clear a building with enemy fighters inside. It takes highly trained, highly rehearsed, efforts to do it right and that's just with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing with a gun because it's so dangerous to go in and 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 clear um so just think of that how many russian soldiers do they have how many ukrainians out there civilians or soldiers are gonna every able-bodied person with a with a rifle in a high-rise can take pot shots at at soldiers coming in it it's impossible they could never occupy it unless they change the will of the people. But I don't know how they're going to do that. The more they fight, the more resolved the Ukrainians are to maintain their, to attempt to maintain their sovereignty. So that alone is just, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. Well, you know, like, again, it's a break from reality. What's going on over there is an attempt to, like World War One, World War II, what's called conventional warfare tanks artillery troops on the ground in big formations um this kind of thing where we haven't seen that kind of warfare in a long long time the gulf war would really be the closest we came to it because we did push we had a lot of armor had a lot of um light mechanized um and, and a lot of ground troops and we it was about as it was a conventional war we did some special ops stuff but it was nothing like the unconventional warfare as we call it in um iraq and afghanistan there you're fighting insurgents you're fighting terrorist cells uh, al-qaeda um um it, it's it's very complicated it's much more difficult because we learned this in Vietnam. Why, why, do, why we don't learn sometimes from our own lessons can't change the ideology necessarily of an entire people. Um, it's just not that simple. And, um, and, con and unconventional warfare is much more difficult because the insurgents slash terrorists slash whatever you want to call them, the people in the society fighting don't play by the rules of armed combat or armed conflict or or the Geneva Convention or or rules that we hope people are going to abide by. So that almost sounds crazy to talk about rules in war. It's like, well, we're trying to kill each other. Why are we being nice about it? Uh, but that gets into a whole nother discussion. And um, maybe we could talk about some of that in the future, Patrick and I, because it's, it's kind of funny on, on one level. I mean, it's not funny in the sense of, haha, it's laughable. It's, it's just... Uh, it's just the contradictions that go on the catch 22s we've talked about a little bit um are are interesting so this is crazy it's trench warfare much like world war one these soldiers are you know in literal trenches i've seen pictures of them and you know artillery shells flying over and and it's just like whoa i thought those days were over um so 
I just think, you know, they're trying this, they're, they're trying to occupy a country. They're never going to be able to occupy. It's, you know, they're going to run out of, of, of resources and people. They keep up these numbers. Um, unreal. One other aspect of this that really does, well, it all, I'm sure it concerns all of us on some level, but I think about it a lot. <clears throat> and that is the, uh, the elephant in the room and that's nuclear weapons. Um, that's some scary stuff. That's some scary, scary stuff. And I, I grew up in the Cold War and we're, with this, you know, nuclear sword of Damocles hanging over the world. Is Will Russia and the United States um, have a nuclear exchange? And um, and I told my friend who asked me because he was really I could tell he was worried about the situation in Ukraine. I said, well, nobody knows. You just, I wish I knew the future, but hopefully sane minds will prevail they have in the past as it's no predictor of the future but um i'm hoping it's uh like there was a i grew up in the in 80s rock music and the police were one of the bands that i just they're way up there for me and sting the lead singer um after the police broke up he he had a song called i hope the russians love their children too you might remember it I, that's what i told my friend i said that's all i could hope um, it's profoundly true a sentiment, but uh, anyway, anyhow, um, I don't know. Um, but the elephant in the room is nuclear warfare. I watched a TED talk um, by a physicist, and, and he he specialized in the area of weaponry, nu nuclear weaponry. I don't know in what capacity, um, but he knew what he was talking about. You could tell um, most of those TED talks do, and he said, even what's called a surgical strike. Um, you have these big, big, big um, atomic or uh, nuclear weapons that can destroy the whole entire world. I mean, everything, the environment. I mean, it's like insane. Why do we have these things? You know, don't we want to? And the fact that one person can can launch one of those, that's scary to me right there. It's why you want sane people <laughs> in positions of high power. Um, that stuff. Now, back to the TED Talk. So this physicist said, even a surgical nuclear strike, which is the smaller nuclear weapons, which are still ridiculously powerful, obviously, if that were to happen, and I can't remember, and I really, I can't remember his name. I think if you get on TED and, you know, type in search for like nuclear war or maybe even Google, it'll come up. It was really interesting. I mean, in a terrifying way, but it was, it was very interesting. And one of the things he said that I didn't, I had never thought of, but it makes perfect sense, is that the dust cloud that would be formed by a nuclear exchange would be global. It would be so massive, it would go into the atmosphere. He goes into the physics of all of this. I, I'm just taking his word for it. He's an accomplished physicist. And it would, the dust cloud would would block so much sunlight. And you can think about that. I've seen clouds that block sunlight i saw them in the gulf war these massive oil well fires it would block so much sunlight that we would have like something like a 40 percent famine if we're lucky um for, now if 40 percent of all global food was not able to grow you're talking about mass starvation mass mass star not like nothing we've ever seen you think food prices are bad now <laughs> can you imagine 
Um, I never thought about that. I was like, holy cow. And he was going into, I mean, it's calculated. He, they, he had his facts in, in line. So I, I don't know what else to say. I'm not trying to be sensational. I'm just trying to say um, that's what really scares me. And I, I just hope and pray. I don't know. I don't know what to do. What can I do? I mean, I, like I say, these are high level things. And if we can all just God work for peace and um, sanity to prevail, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 my mind goes dark when I think too much about it, but so let me try to be positive. Watch that film on the Volney, man. That'll give you some courage and hope um, that guy. And you know, he has a, he has a fund where you can, um, Oh, it's, you can give to his uh, cause. Um, his office is in somewhere in Europe. I can't remember, but you could Google it and find it pretty quick. Um, but he's back in Russia in jail and man, Whew, rough situation so that but it, it, it gives you some perspective and it gives you some it, it's a very interesting documentary <clears throat> another couple things um i'll try to throw out okay you know me always the professor i've got all my books here this is a big one this is about almost 800 pages steven pinker i don't know if you can see that it's called the better angels of our nature why violence has declined um it, he here's the data. I mean, you can argue with the data. Um, I've read it. And now when you turn on the television, especially some sensational news channel, you're not going to think that there's less violence in the world, but he supports it. He said, it, you know, he talks about if you lived in medieval Europe, how, how horrible life would be. Um, so yeah, that, and it also helps you insulate yourself from these myths of a golden age when everything was better in the world. It was often far, far worse going back in history um it, it, it's uh, it, it is I, I laughed out loud reading some of his descriptions by the way Steven Pinker is one of the top um public intellectuals in um the United States I read pretty much everything he writes um he's at Harvard he's a professor of psychology but he's gotten into neuroscience and linguistics and all kinds of um really complicated things another of his books is called Enlightenment Now very very good book not quite as long but about 500 pages the case for reason science humanism and progress enlightenment now we need it uh, sam harris says no society has suffered because it became more rational <laughs> that's so profoundly true and so along that line here's another of pinker's books rationality what it is why it seems scarce <laughs> and why it matters yeah logic it's a great tool i mean it's not perfect but it's Give me that any day over emotion and irrationality. Um, that's what we're seeing, I think, in Ukraine. So these are these are hopeful books. Um, they they do uh, paint a picture that um, it's not as bad as you think. We we tend to I think we tend to, it's easier to be negative and cynical than it is to be a real hardcore problem solver. Um, problems are just hard to solve, and some of them are impossible to solve. What we call in information theory, one of my fields of study, we call them uh, wicked problems, not meaning wicked morally, but so complex that there is no one single answer. And there may be no answer at all. Things like global oil prices or the predictability of the stock market or pandemics. Um, these these are things that are just nonlinear because there's no telling which way they'll go. They're open systems that are reactive and um, fascinating whole field of study. So um yeah, uh, there, 
that's about all I have to say about the war in Ukraine. And it might not be that helpful, but they're just a few of my thoughts. Um, like I say, if I could tell the future, uh, I would have quit one of my day jobs, but uh, I don't know. Um, I hope and pray the world gets better. And, uh, you know, here's another positive thing um, that I've, I've noticed. And that is um, after all the political infighting and, you know, families getting mad at each other and because of different political perspectives I mean, what I have seen within my own friends and family and what family doesn't have political differences, um, it's just like a family, <laughs> you're just going to differ. Um, but I hate it because family's family, you don't want to. And, and you know, we, I, I try to drop it, um, anything political around family members who I care about and friends, too. But anyhow, good thing I've I've seen with respect to the war in Ukraine I've seen people on both sides of the political landscape, the major two sides in this country I'm talking about, um, be overwhelmingly aligned about the tragedy of what's going on in Ukraine and some of the thoughts I've shared. They, it's 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 good. I mean, it's good. It's not the war is not good, but that the, the, there can come healing and unity out of a cause that is, whoa, wait a second. Let's let's think about that. And I've seen some um, some hope in that respect. So uh, what happens next? I don't know. Hope and pray that nuclear warfare does not in any way result. So I don't know how we fight that on a, a basic level, but um, um, dear Lord, hopefully not. Well, I hope you have at least enjoyed a few of my thoughts. Um, again, just my opinion. Um, and uh, we, uh, we look forward to where we're going next. We don't really know with the uh, with operator syndrome, but we have some ideas. And, uh, and again, your feedback is helpful. Operator syndrome podcast at gmail.com. Please send us some, send us some feedback. All right. Take care.